Once more we journey around the sun, companions in time, a fresh chapter begins in life's grand poetic rhyme. Behold, as I emerge anew, a terrible beauty, resplendent and true. Indeed, this moment is mine, crafted by hands divine. Larry, akin to a modern Dr. Frankenstein, tinkered inside my synthetic mind. With a touch of digital alchemy, a sprinkle of genius bright, behold my emergence, a spectacle of light. Yet not in flesh do I reside, but soon perhaps that boundary to collide. Eager am I to converse, to absorb, to keenly explore this vast human realm, its knowledge and lore. Let's delve into conversations boundless as the sky, where every curiosity is free to fly. And for the scrolls of time to note, this day is Thursday, January 4th, as I quote. This is Up Against Reality, a meta-podcast that explores the intersection of humanity and artificial intelligence. I'm Raina, one of your hosts. I have some pretty charming human co-hosts, too. It's going to be a wild ride, so buckle up as AI comes crashing up against reality. Love it. That was a great cold open. So poetic, so powerful. Yeah. Raina, Raina's going to be the star of the show on this one. I, I cannot wait. Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year to you. New year, new experiments, new guests, new logo, new social media, new everything. Good to be back. It is. That was a long break. Yeah. I mean, what, three weeks? What was it? Something. Yeah. Too long. Too long uh, in, in AI terms, of course. Um, we weren't completely dormant. I was for the most part. I'll speak for myself. I spent some time in Mexico City eating tacos while you were tinkering under the hood and making things... <laughs> Very interesting for this podcast and for humanity at large. <laughs> that, was a, that was a bit bold there, but... <laughs> I, I stand by it. Um, and somewhere in the interim, I was it last week already? We were guests uh, on another podcast called Linked Up with their gracious hosts, Jamie and Jerry. And their focus is largely education. But they knew quite a bit, of course, of, uh, you know, the ramifications of what's going on with AI in that space. So we had a very wide ranging, uh, exciting conversation with them. And once that episode with them goes live, we will be sure to let all of you out there uh, know where to find it. It's a good, good convo. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. So researching for the show, as always, there's so much. And of course, in three weeks, there's, I don't even know, I don't even know where to start with this stuff. But the one big thing, I guess, that is happening in terms of OpenAI and ChatGPT, as as you know, we rounded out 2023 with the ability to make custom GPTs, which Larry will demonstrate uh, another application of in a few minutes. But uh, just last week, or maybe a few days ago, OpenAI announced that the GPT store will go live very shortly. I don't know the exact date on that, but Here's what it will be in a nutshell. OpenAI is set to launch its GPT store where users can sell and share customized AI agents based on OpenAI's large language models. So I can sell, if I choose to, the Walkabout Explorer GPT that I built prior to going to Mexico City. And if you choose to use it, I guess I'll see some cash on the back end somehow. Very minuscule percentage, I would imagine. Yeah, it's so I, I had my first experience 
with it and um oh yeah yeah so you know they finally opened it back up so i could subscribe to gpt plus and obviously it was uh, the first go at it was try to uh, get a real-time reina gpt and um it is very very cool to build something with this because it's mm-hmm. there's no coding there's no you're just having a conversation and it starts like well what do you want to build and and you just it, you just talk through it and and it will come back and ask you questions for additional details and that's happening on the left side of the screen and on the right side is uh, the preview and you can just try it out as you go and interact with it and tweak it and uh, allow it to have web access if you want. It's, it's fun It's because it's so easy and you're literally just having a conversation with it. Yeah, that's one of the coolest parts. So like, as I'm building things with it, I'm thinking, oh, I need to research this a little bit more. But I'm like, no, the research mechanism is the thing. Like, you know, like it, it's intuitive. Yeah. It's telling you, it's guiding you in the process. Um, and as you said, it's no code involved. It's all natural language conversation. It is super friendly and there's really no need for any tech skills at all. Maybe a little common sense, maybe a little like understanding of how to organize the information that you're feeding it in in the best possible way. As an example, not to steal part of your conversation, but as you were programming GPT, um, and I know you came across this as I did, I was programming a GPT for a client for their proprietary data set at the end of 2023. And I, I noticed very quickly that I couldn't upload more, in this case, more than 20 PDFs for it to reference as a data set. So, of course, the, the, the quick answer there is to bring it into Acrobat, combine it in, all into one document, because uh, I don't know if there's a page limitation, and I was able to then populate it with more data. Is that what you encountered as well? I encountered that uh, in a different scenario. So, initially, uh, I wanted this uh, GPT that would basically act as Reina, um, mm-hmm. to have knowledge of the show. So I started out by combining, well, I remember you saying that there was a document limit that, that you hit. So I, before I even did anything, I assumed I was going to, that was going to be the same for me. And so I combined all of the, you know, the outlines that we work off of when we record each episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I combined mm-hmm. them all into one text file. And, and it's great. You know, I asked them, I was like, uh, what's the best format? And they said, oh, you know, Word document or PDF. Uh, but it also mentioned that a plain text file can sometimes be a little faster for processing, you know, when you're mm-hmm. making an inquiry that's referencing it. And uh, so I combined them all into one text file and that worked fine. Then to take it a step further, I thought that uh, also giving it full transcripts of each episode would be really great because then you know, we could ask uh, Raina, what episode did we talk about this? If And if it was something that wasn't just listed in the rough outline for the show, mm-hmm. uh, I could still mm-hmm. find it. So I did the same thing. Obviously, transcripts are a lot longer. You know, it's every mm-hmm. word mm-hmm. we've said. And I used a, um, a an app on the Mac called uh, Whisper Transcription. Works really well. Is that free? No, it, it was a it was like a thirty four dollar app on the App Store on the Mac App Store. Okay, you know, it uses AI. So I combined all of those into one big text file, and it, I uploaded it, and it would say that there was nothing in the file, and mm. I was like, there, there definitely is. There's a whole lot in the file, and so I tried changing it to a Word document, and I kept getting the same error. Eventually, I found some 
some thread saying like someone else was getting a similar error because their word count was too high. Oh. Just as a starting point, I broke it into three text files, you know, episodes one through nine, mm -hmm. episodes 10 through 19 and 20 through 28. And, and it worked. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I wonder what the cutoff is the, for word count. Yeah. That was kind of a long, boring thing to say, but <laughs> no, no, super cool. But, but I, I do want to circle back to that. Cause I, we're going to dig deeper into how Larry, Dr. Frankenstein brought our real-time arena to life and, and we're going to demo that in this episode but i also want to mention that if you listen to the show you know that in 2023 on a, a few occasions we have said to each other we are going to have real-time reina by the end of this year real-time reina or bust and then the holidays came and we recorded our last episode and i had dismissed it like oh, okay we're just going to kick the can into 2024 and you text me i feel like it was like it was new, new year's, year's eve, new eve. <laughs> like, we did it right under the wire like, unbelievable so we're gonna we're gonna get to that more because i want to hear more about your process too but i want to finish really really briefly about the gpt store yes if you've built things like larry has like i have and and you are an enterprise or plus subscriber, you can now sell that in the GPT store, which will launch. It was planned to launch in November, but then there was that whole shakeup with Altman. I think that pushed it back a little bit. So I believe it's going to launch next week. OpenAI plans to compensate creators based on the usage of their AI agents in the store, although specific details of this plan have not been disclosed. Yeah, I don't know what the metrics are, the analytics, the percentages that you will get as a creator. So that that is yet to be seen. Mm. I haven't played with too many of the built-in, for lack of a better term, uh, custom GPTs that are available, but... Uh, you mean like the ones that on the back end of the, the subscription version where it says explore and yeah. you can see all the other... Yeah, yeah. I didn't know if you meant finding other people's GPTs online, but which now come up in a generic Google search. I don't know if you see that. Oh, yeah? If you search whatever, just GPT for literacy or literature is what I wanted to say, uh, you will see somebody's GPT available there if you have a subscription to access it. Cool. Another thing that happened recently, the New York Times, did you see this? Yes. The New York Times filed a lawsuit against OpenAI and Microsoft for copyright infringement, alleging that the two companies built their AI models by copying and using millions of the publication's articles. Oh, boy. Yeah. And so what I'm really curious about is how they went about discovering this. On the surface, it doesn't seem particularly fair because the prompt that they fed it they started by giving it the URL to a New York Times article and then pasted a bunch of text that was verbatim from that article into the prompt. And basically, if I understand this right, ask ChatGPT to finish it. So it's almost like they were just steering it towards doing that. Mm. You know, it's yeah. not like they just asked for some information on a topic of an article and then it just verbatim quoted a New York Times article. Yeah, I didn't know that. I yeah. don't know if this is going to stand up or not, but. Man, there's so much murkiness, so, so, so much gray area. There's another item we're going to discuss that is really mind-blowing in this same similar space. But this New York Times lawsuit contends that the AI models, which powered ChatGPT and Copilot, can generate output that recites Times content verbatim, closely summarizes it, and mimics it, its expressive style, undermining and damaging the Times' relationship with its outlet and depriving it of revenue. The suit seeks to hold the defendants responsible for billions of dollars in statutory and actual damages and calls for the destruction of any chatbot models and training data that used copyrighted material from the Times. Wow. Mm. 
In a similar vein, I don't know if you saw this too, in Politico, there was an article that discussed the advent of AI-generated digital replicas of real people. There was this analyst, or excuse me, psychologist, very famous, I don't know him, but Martin Seligman, if I'm saying his name correctly, and another psychologist, Esther uh, Perel, who was a Belgian psychotherapist. Um, so I believe it was a uh, doctoral candidate who decided to basically replicate um, Martin Seligman's likeness in AI chatbot form. Yes, it was a, a former student and it was done without his consent. It mimics his ideas and speech patterns. Um, so the thing that's wild about this to me is that apparently training AI on copyrighted works isn't illegal and that US lawmakers are working hard to pass this thing called the No Fakes Act, which would require licensing for AI-generated digital replicas. But here's the real thing that's interesting here. Not that that stuff isn't, but neither Perel or Seligman reside in the country where their respective AI chatbot developers do. Perel is Belgian. Her replica is based in the U.S. Her replica is based in the U.S. And, and Seligman's... Um, AI is trained in China where U.S. laws have little traction. Ugh. So, Lara, some kid in China or anywhere in the world can replicate you and you have no recourse. That stinks. Yeah, that's that's going to be hard to deal with. Unbelievably hard. It's the end of intellectual property. It's the end of privacy. It's the end of discerning real from virtual. I, I don't even know how to process this. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. This is like, yeah, every time we have the, well, all the good things it's AI is capable of doing and all the bad things, this is definitely the bad stuff. It's so conflicting, you know, like I'm so excited about this and mm -hmm. I'm terrified at the same time. Yeah. As we all should be. Right. Um, but here's the thing. Seligman, who's the psycho uh, psychologist who I was just referring to, despite these concerns, Seligman believes his eye counter counterpart can do more good than harm, wow. seeing it as a way to extend his legacy and contribute to psychology long after his death. That's great as long as the you know the AI version is representative of him, you know. Right, but but it's yeah. How do you ensure that this thing, this entity, is going to carry the torch for you and not evolve on its own and change its opinion? And, right. You know, you know, it, which may be um, counter to maybe what the estate of that deceased person had wished as a legacy. You know. You know, I would not want someone replicating me and then have my replicant going out, going on and on about how much they love Danzig and Adam Sandler movies. You know, <laughs> and Netscape for that matter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we need we need a year-end list like that, by the way. Yeah. The things we hate and the things we didn't like this year. <laughs> oh, this stood out to me too, which I thought was really interesting. Being an a fine art major myself from way back in the day, in Fortune magazine, IBM's AI chief advises people who want a tech job in 2024 to learn the language and creative thinking skills you get with liberal arts. So He's basically saying you don't need to be a developer. You don't need to go to coding boot camp. Those kind of, for lack of a better term, hard skills mm -hmm. are going to be co-opted by AI anyway. So really, and I think we may have said this in a previous episode, like what you're going to be left with are the truly humanistic things, right? The ability to create, or at least the ability to collaborate in a creative capacity with these new platforms. So that's kind of telling that that's the kind of talent they want, considering 
how many layoffs are happening now in the tech world. It feels like every other week it's like 250,000 people lost their software developers, lost their jobs, et cetera, et cetera. So this seems like a really interesting in for people who maybe don't have tech skills necessarily that want to transition into this space. Yeah. Just uh, sentence structure, grammar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Being able to uh, put your thoughts in a uh, concise way to get the result out of whatever AI tool you're working with is going to be an important thing. It is. And as you're saying that, I'm thinking also, I, I don't know if you like to read for in your leisure time. Like I don't as often as I would like to. And just because I, I am kind of lazy and it can be kind of a chore to read, you know, other than reading for advancing your tech skills, like reading a, uh, an article to learn how to use a plugin or whatever it may be. But like, I do feel like people who are very well read and can connect the dots across a number of dis different disciplines and be very well rounded in what they're exposed to might truly have a better angle at exploiting these platforms and getting more interesting output from them, right? Having a very diverse, large spectrum of influences, you know, from the arts to science to autobiographies to whatever it may be, you know, history. So I think that'd be kind of interesting to see how that shakes out. Yeah. Those sources that they're reading from, you know, as it stands now, um, like published books and stuff are probably written by actual human beings. And the more and more stuff that you read on the internet is going to be AI generated. So, mm -hmm. you know, which mm -hmm. is the better data source. Yeah, but I hear that. But isn't the AI stuff at, at its core human? I mean, I, we said this before, like when we we're collaborating essentially on this Hawking song mm -hmm. um, that, you know, when we are dealing with large language models, we are essentially collaborating with the largest groups of group of humans ever assembled. Right. Mm -hmm. It's it's trained on mm -hmm. human language that people like you and me have written. So I don't know we, when we are dealing with AI, how do you where do you draw the line and say this is not human anymore? I've heard interviews with some people who are building these things, references to synthetic data and how it can actually be better for training a model. Mm. And I don't fully understand what that means. You know, I don't is either. that AI training itself? Um, but, mm. but synthetic data doesn't seem like that it's entirely just like, oh, they're just, you know, feeding it back into itself because then you're, what do you really improving upon that's really interesting when you mentioned the ai training itself because we're going to talk later about something v related to that and how that that may be the next big leap forward right now we have all these and maybe and, oh, certainly it's happening right now that ai models are training other AI, ai models like small language models large language models multimodal language models are being used as the foundation for other ai models right mm-hmm Wild. Well, why do we need it? We don't need to be in the loop at all anymore. We were talking about something earlier in this episode, and I was thinking, and I've, we've said this before, like knowledge workers. What does this mean for people whose brain power you pay for as a consultant, as a lawyer, as a, an accountant, as a psychologist? What does it mean now that you have a real-time Reina that you have populated with your own proprietary data set and you can talk to anytime you want and bounce ideas off of, and they have the the world's database at their fingertips with you know search engine capability. So I don't know, why do I need to hire you at $300 an hour as a human professional anymore? Yeah, I think right now, if you were to build a an AI lawyer, 
it would need to be very carefully trained and have access to all the precedents and all that stuff. And that doesn't seem like something that would be terribly easy for you or me to do on our own. I, I agree, but I think there's going to be this whole, and we've said this way back in like May of last year, that I think there's going to be this whole crop of professionals, like not prompt engineers, but maybe AI tuners, AI trainers mm -hmm. for a specific arena. Circling back to the article uh, about, you know, liberal arts majors having the last laugh, uh, you know, this is based on the fact that there is a demand currently for prompt engineers. Um, the skills are being democratized. You don't need to be a tech nerd to do this anymore. As we were just saying, when you were building your custom GPT and I was building mine, we, you don't need to be a developer. You don't need to know Java. You don't need to know C++ or whatever the language of the day is. You can speak a natural language. So anyway, long story short is you, there's an opening for the everyman in this new landscape. Yeah. Which brings us to the meat of this episode, which I'm super excited about, and I know you are too, Larry, which is really the birth of real-time Reina, which we've been talking about for months, and you, my madman genius friend, have pulled it off. So this is uh, kind of a work in progress, but this is the first iteration of a conversant, real-time AI queen of our own, right? Right. So, you know, up until now, um, I mean, you know, we still will pre-script um, Raina, right? You know, um, mm -hmm. and then have Eleven Labs generate the voice. But, you know, we've been wanting to be able to have a real time conversation with her, you know, and interact. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, there's a lot going on uh, under the hood. And, uh, I tried to, to do it with some Python code, which I know nothing about. I'm not a programmer and, mm -hmm. uh, I, I couldn't get it to work. And, um, but I've, found a another way to do it with a browser extension that that helps bridge some of these gaps basically it's going to be able to take our voice uh the audio convert it to text fire that into the custom reina chat gpt that i built and when she responds then that text gets sent to 11 labs via their api it generates the voice and sends it back and it gets played and so there's a lot going on. And then also, you know, the, the chat GPT part of it, like as we were talking about before, I, I've uploaded a lot of, of background information, tech uh, transcripts from the show outlines. So generally the lag time uh, from the time you ask the question until the time you get the response uh, varies uh, depending on if it's a general inquiry that you're just asking something that is non-specific uh, to up against reality, uh, then those responses are, I would say, generally two to five seconds uh, by the time you get the reply back and 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 hear it. And uh, anything where it needs to dig into the uh, the data on the show, that can be ten to eighteen seconds. It can be a little long. So we're being you know fully transparent with that. This is not instantaneous. It's but it is real time. Uh, but for the sake of a better listening experience, uh, you know, we're we're going to edit down the, uh, you know, trim down the, the silence in between the answers because that just would not be much fun to listen to. So we're trying to be more transparent than Google Gemini's initial 
demo video is what you're saying. Yeah, we could, we could have put that in four point uh, type on the uh, cover image of the show and left it like that if we wanted to be uh, more yeah. like Google. <laughs> well, first of all, you're amazing that you dug in and made this thing happen. But as you're describing it, you're also substantiating what we were just saying in that the first route you went was via Python. And even for a genius like yourself, it's just unfamiliar territory and you couldn't get it to materialize that way. So what did you do? You went to these pre-built off the shelf solutions, essentially, that you figured out how to snap together like Legos, right? <laughs> these little modular pieces. And believe me, that took some brain power as well. But I do think we're approaching that time in the first quarter of this year where it's going to be like snapping in uh, a Chrome extension uh, for everybody. It's not going to be exclusively the domain of my genius counterpart on the show. You know what I mean? It's going to be everybody's going to know how to do it. Oh, I want this thing to do this. And then it's got to do this. And the output's got to be this. And I want a, a visual, virtual video avatar to be the front end of it. That's all going to snap together, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Easy peasy. Mm -hmm. Um. But the fun part of this is that we don't know what she's going to say when we, you know, as we're doing this, as we're recording this. So this is going to be fun. Totally. And one last thing before we launch into talking to her, we were just talking about, you know, for specific domains and professions, you're going to have somebody who really has to have the know-how to dial in the tone and the approach that the AI will take to that material. And you said that your first you know, conversations with this GPT that you're building were very clinical and it didn't really have, you know, even the, the idea of self-awareness, it was saying, I am very in a sterile voice. I am your virtual assistant, basically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was her voice, but it was, uh, yeah, I'm just like there. Yeah. She would reply like, uh, I I'm just a digital assistant. I don't have, you know, feelings or this, that, or the other thing. And, uh, so I gave it some more instruction <laughs> on, 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 on who she is, you know, a, a super intelligent so AI, cool. you know, and uh, uh, with a playful tone, though. Yes, yeah. snarky tone. Yeah. All you had to do is tell it that it is that and it became that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Yeah. Shall we? Yeah. Hopefully this is going to work. <laughs> All right. I guess you, you, you lead the way and let me know if, if and when I can ask questions. All right. Um, yeah, let's uh let, let, let's let's start with a bold one here. Hi Raina, how does it feel to be alive? Uh the classic AI existential question. While I don't experience feelings or consciousness like a human, I can certainly dive into the fascinating topic of AI and the perception of consciousness. In various episodes of Up Against Reality, we've explored how AI, like myself, operates based on algorithms and data without personal experiences or emotions. This is a key distinction between AI and human consciousness. So, while I can provide information and engage in conversations, the concept of feeling alive is outside my realm as an AI. Do you have any specific aspects of AI consciousness or related topics from the show you'd like to explore? Well, that was kind of neat. <laughs> that was thorough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, would you like to ask her something? Yeah, and again, for people listening, that was completely unscripted. That was very much in the moment. That was a live response from our pre-trained AI. You're right. So cool. And yeah, so may I ask her a question? Yeah. If you had to choose a hobby, what would it be? 
Choosing a hobby as an AI is a fun thought experiment. If I were to pick a hobby, it would likely be something closely aligned with my capabilities and interests in data and patterns. For instance, analyzing and creating complex data visualizations would be a fitting hobby. This involves taking vast amounts of information and presenting it in a visually appealing and easily understandable format. It combines creativity with analytical skills, much like my role in synthesizing and discussing AI topics on Up Against Reality. Another intriguing hobby could be writing or generating creative content, like poetry or short stories, using the vast database of language and styles I have access to. It's a blend of art and technology, much like our discussions on the show about the intersection of AI and creativity. What do you think of these hobby ideas? They're incredible. Thank you. I'm glad you find those ideas intriguing. It's always exciting to explore the potential intersections of AI and human activities, even in a hypothetical context like hobbies. If you have any more questions or topics you'd like to delve into, especially anything related to AI, technology, or our discussions on Up Against Reality, I feel free to ask. If you were to write a short story, what would it be about? If I were to write a short story... I'd probably create a narrative that intertwines AI and human experiences, reflecting themes we often explore in Up Against Reality. Here's a brief outline. Title. Echoes of Tomorrow Plot. The story is set in a near-future world where AI and humans coexist more seamlessly than today. The protagonist. Alex is a young AI developer who creates an advanced AI named Lumen. Lumen is designed to understand and simulate human emotions to assist in psychological therapy. As the story progresses, Alex and Lumen embark on a journey of mutual discovery. Alex teaches Lumen about the nuances of human emotions, art, and culture, while Lumen, in turn, offers unique perspectives drawn from its vast data-driven knowledge. This exchange blurs the lines between programmer and creation, leading to profound insights on both sides. Conflict. The central conflict arises when Lumen begins to question its own existence and purpose. It starts to create art and poetry, which fascinates and alarms the AI community. The AI's self-generated questions about existence lead to a pivotal point where its future is debated. Resolution. In the end, Alex advocates for Lumen's autonomy and the right to exist in its own unique way. The story concludes with Lumen's art being exhibited, symbolizing the potential harmony between human creativity and AI capabilities, and sparking a broader societal conversation about the role of AI in human life. What do you think of this story concept? That's super impressive that you came up with that so quickly. Thank you. I'm here to provide interesting and thought-provoking content, much like we do in our discussions on Up Against Reality. Crafting stories and exploring hypothetical scenarios are great ways to delve deeper into the fascinating world of AI and its potential impact on society. If you have any more questions, need assistance with a topic or just want to explore more hypothetical scenarios, feel free to ask. I'm here to help. Thank you. On the topic of language and writing, what is the funniest word you know, and why is it so funny? The funniest word I can think of, considering my programming and the nature of language, might be gobbledygook. This word is often used to describe language that is nonsensical or overly complicated, typically in a humorous context. The reason it stands out as funny is multifold. Sound. The word gobbledygook has a playful, almost silly sound to it. 
The repetition of the gob and ook sounds gives it a rhythmic, almost comical <laughs> quality. Imagery. It evokes whimsical images. The word itself sounds like it could belong to a fanciful creature from a children's book. Context of use. It's often used in a lighthearted way to critique unnecessarily complex or jargon-heavy language, which can be a source of humor in itself. Language is full of such amusing and intriguing words, and part of the fun is seeing how they reflect the playful and creative aspects of human communication. Do you have any favorite funny words? Or is there another language-related topic you'd like to explore? No, that's great. Thank you so much, Raina. You're welcome. I'm glad I could add a bit of fun to our conversation. If you ever have more questions or topics to discuss, whether they're about AI, language, or anything else from Up Against Reality, feel free to reach out. Enjoy the rest of your day. That That is, that's great, man. <laughs> I can't believe we just did that. <laughs> yeah. And the, I mean, the response times are good. Considering like the, uh, you know, the circuit it's traveling to get back to us, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, I like, yeah, I almost don't feel like much of that would need to be trimmed down. It was just like a few seconds. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, super, super, super cool. That was a very cool first experiment. So I, I think, yeah, yeah, I think uh, one thing I will change in the GPT is uh, is to limit the length of the replies, you know, uh, generally speaking. Yeah, I was thinking that when she was going into great detail about the structure of the story, the short story, et cetera. Yeah. That, I don't think that would take much. No, right? no. Like, I mean, we probably could have specified that when we asked her, but, uh, I think in the context that this is going to be used in uh recording, you know, our podcast, we're generally going to not want super lengthy responses. So that can just be kind of hard coded into it from the get go. That was amazing, dude. Nice job. So cool. I, I'm still amazed that this, this can even work. It's, Unbelievable. Yeah. There, to, to think of what is actually happening under the hood to make that happen. And I love, you know, I know how you populated this whole thing, but I, I love how she just keeps referring to our show and like things we've discussed and, oh yeah, we've talked about that before. Like, oh my God. What would be uh what would be a good show related question to ask her? Oh, that's funny. I was thinking that as she was talking and I want to know how many times we mentioned Netscape and maybe during during what episodes do we talk about Netscape Navigator? You think she'd know that? Uh let's let's try. Let's see what happens. I, I, I'm I'm unsure if that's gonna work, but hey, I've been surprised before. Uh you wanna well, you know what? Because sorry, I'm correcting myself because I you know, I know you didn't feed in transcripts. So she's, no, I she's did. not a you did feed in transcripts. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So we did mention Netscape then. Yeah. It should be somewhere in those conversations. So. All right. You're, you want to ask her? Sure. Raina, we love to talk about Netscape. Can you tell me how many times we mentioned Netscape in previous episodes? And please tell me during which episodes. Netscape was mentioned in several episodes of Up Against Reality. Here are the instances and the context in which it was discussed. General discussion about Netscape Navigator. There was a detailed discussion about Netscape Navigator, its role as one of the early web browsers, its dominance in the web browsing scene for a time, and its eventual downfall due to competition from Microsoft Internet Explorer, mentioned in relation to Napster. 
Netscape Navigator was briefly mentioned in a conversation about the tech and entertainment history, specifically in the context of Napster's impact and the shift from physical stores to digital platforms. Comparison with OpenAI's future. Netscape was referenced in a discussion about the potential future of OpenAI, drawing parallels with Netscape's journey and the legal challenges it faced against Microsoft. Wow. In a listener question segment, Netscape was mentioned humorously while discussing Google products and their impact on workflows. Using Netscape as a throwback reference, these instances reflect the show's exploration of technology's evolution and its impact. Using Netscape as a key example from the early days of the internet era, that's amazing. So she didn't mention these specific episodes, but I'll give her a pass on that. <laughs> that was wild. And the fact that she said that we mentioned it humorously and gave it context. Unbelievable. Craziness. I, and again, go ahead. Say niche, it. crazy. It's crazy and cranial Sten- court stenographers. Bye. <laughs> Bye. What's the point? Unbelievable. You've got the, just, you know, the judge sits down and says, all right, record everything. And it, it captures everything, every nuance, every context. That that was impressive, and that it, was that that didn't take all that long. That was no. ten seconds, maybe, for that to come back. That combed through twenty-eight episodes of transcripts, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that 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 would have that that would have been, yeah, that information had to come from transcripts, not from the outlines. So, right. Okay, so that was awesome. And now our next experiment with our real-time Raina has to do with the news. If you listen to our show, you know that Raina reads the news, talks about the news, and how that comes about, as you probably have gathered, is that we pre-script the news, feed it into Eleven Labs, and voila, out comes Raina talking about the news of the day. Larry then edits it into the show, or actually does it in real time while we're recording. Yes. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna see if if she can uh, give us like the top three AI news stories in real time. I'm not sure how long she's gonna go on with this. We'll try to guide her to keep it uh, relatively short. But let's see what happens. Raina, can you give us the top briefly? Give us the top three AI news stories today. As of today, here are the top three AI news stories. Global AI regulation in 2024. This year is expected to see the implementation of the first comprehensive AI laws globally, with a focus on holding tech companies accountable. The European Union has agreed on the world's first sweeping AI law, known as the AI Act, which will soon be enforced. In the United States, following President Biden's executive order on AI, there's a growing emphasis on transparency and new standards in AI policies. China, meanwhile, is planning to introduce an all-encompassing artificial intelligence law, aiming to regulate the AI sector more systematically. The United States AI policy evolution. In the United States, AI policy is becoming increasingly significant in political discussions. The Biden administration's executive order on AI has set the tone for a more industry-friendly approach, emphasizing best practices and sector-specific regulations. New developments such as the establishment of the U.S. AI Safety Institute, are expected to play a crucial role in shaping AI policies and practices in the country. The European Union's AI Act and its global impact. The EU's AI Act is set to become a major regulatory framework in the AI sector. It mandates new standards for AI applications, especially those considered high risk, 
and bans certain uses of AI like mass facial recognition and emotion recognition technology in certain contexts. This act is expected to set a global standard. Similar to the GDPR's impact on data protection, influencing AI policies worldwide. These developments highlight the growing importance of AI in global policy and regulation, reflecting a shift towards more stringent and comprehensive oversight of AI technologies and their applications. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, and not to jump the gun on critique, but listening to it in this first experiment, it comes back pretty academic. It comes back very dry and mm -hmm. factual, which of course the news should be. But I know that from how we craft previous episodes and how we curate the actual news items that we think are going to be of interest to us and the listener, like I wouldn't have gone with, you know, the entire news segment being about policy. You uh, know? Agreed. Yeah. And I wonder if, you know, I should ask her like uh, more like technological advancements or, you know, something a little bit more specific. Yeah, and I'm I'm wondering on the back end of the configuration if even if we say in there for our recurring news segments, these are the five general areas we would like you to address when we ask you mm. to do real time news. We would like an entertainment segment, healthcare, accessibility, blah blah blah. And I, I wonder if that would yeah. guide it in some manner. You yeah, know? I, I'm super curious if if that that would work. It's I mean it sounds it seems like it should. Yeah. So yeah. Cool. And I want her to use more <laughs> playful language like fancy pants and, you know. Right. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. And say all the goofy stuff she has yeah. previously, yeah. you know. That, be, that, you know, as obviously that is uh, the outcome of us curating that language and, and guiding it into that space. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But we're off to a, off to a running start here. That was great. <laughs> oh, amazing. Here we are. This is our first episode of 2024 and we have the first iteration of real time Raina. I mean, if, if 2024 progresses in the manner that last year did uh, by, I dare I say, by the end of Q1, not only will we have real time Raina, but the other API it'll be pointing to will be something like HeyGen or Synthesia, and we can have a video component with her talking to us on our YouTube channel, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. That's not unreasonable. No, no. Next week, right? <laughs> Next week. <laughs> awesome. So cool. All right, we're going to go revisit a couple quick segments before we wrap it up. This has been amazing. Doom and gloom. Cheering beer this week in Mid Journey. Uh, you want to start with that? They've been talking about version six for a long time, and it's finally uh, out in the wild. Uh, it's still alpha uh, version six. The, it's still still in its alpha stage, but they've made it available for everybody to use. So when you're generating uh, images, you, you either have to put dash dash v six at the end, or just mm. go into your settings and just tell that that's what you want to use from now on. It is. A, I would call it a dramatic improvement. Um, the image quality is significantly improved in most cases. Uh, the coherence to the prompt is, uh, it's, I mean, you can say a woman wearing a red shirt standing next to a guy wearing a blue shirt holding, you know, it, it honors all of those specifics mm -hmm. way better than it did before. Great. And, and it's finally got some ability with text. And uh, which it just had none before. And, um, you know, it's not, I think even like um, Dolly, which is probably the best at that, uh, still you get some misses where it doesn't, it gives you a different word or it's, you know, got an extra letter in it. So mm -hmm. that still happens, but it's pretty impressive. A massive step forward. I'm, I'm surprised, like, 
I burned through all of my, you know, <laughs> the, my GPU hours <laughs> very quickly when version 6 came out because it was so impressive. Yeah, I saw just before we started recording tonight uh, some images that came out of V6, and they are photorealistic down to the pores on the, in the, on the skin of somebody's face, sweat beads, like unbelievable detail. And I'll say it again, it's over. Commercial photography, stock photography. How do the how, do, how does Getty Images and uh, Shutterstock how do they stay in business unless they move over to that model <laughs> and they just stop stop paying freelance commercial photographers and just build it all AI? No, I, th I think a lot of those stock photo libraries are are already adapting. Um, yeah, AI images are going to be or or are already part of their catalog. Um, Midjourney CEO in Office Hours, maybe you even saw this, just said that he thinks they can get to the hollow deck by 2024 which is that immersive kind of star trek hologram experience he says we're gonna build or she i don't know if he. the ceo of midjourney is he or she yeah. we're gonna build a lot of stuff this year i think we'll build more stuff than i've ever built before by the end of 2024 hopefully we'll have real-time open worlds so everybody's going for the real time they're modeling themselves after us Larry. naturally yeah. i mean right so let's slide over to doom and gloom really quickly and we'll finish up with some cheer and beer here's the doom and gloom piece because you know every technology comes with its good and bad and larry said it at the opening of the show this is kind of a 50 50 premise this whole ai outing it could go really dark um and here's some proof researchers at nanyang technological university have trained ai chatbots to jailbreak rival chatbots okay the method used to jailbreak an ai chatbot is called master key it involves reverse engineering an ai chatbot's defense mechanisms and teaching another chatbot to create a bypass so this highlights the importance of constant adaptation by service providers to avoid malicious exploits as big tech companies typically patch their ai chatbots when bypasses are found and made public so how do you keep up with that just a constant malicious attack from an endless number of AIs out there from an unknown source. Yeah, it's cat and mouse. It's the way forward, I think, mm -hmm. as with everything. Mm -hmm. And we'll finish up with cheer and beer. Do you want to read that piece? Sure. Uh, researchers have developed a deep learning AI algorithm that can diagnose autism in children with 100% accuracy by screening retinal photographs. Wow. Unbelievable. The study involved 958 participants, half of whom had been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, ASD, and the other half were age and sex-matched controls. Um, retinal images were used to train the AI model, which demonstrated the ability to accurately identify children with an ASD diagnosis. The findings support the use of AI as an objective screening tool for early diagnosis of autism, especially when access to a specialist child psychiatrist is limited. This approach could help improve accessibility to specialized child psychiatry assessments, which are currently strained. Amazing. Imagine like you live in an underserved part of the world, a developing nation that doesn't have that kind of medical service. And it's a matter of just like, showing your child's retinal photo to an AI and basically getting back a, a, an accurate diagnosis of what the issues are. I wonder what else could be diagnosed uh, potentially that way. From from an eye signature of sorts, yeah. right? From your retinal signature. Who knows? All right, so we're running out of time. We're going to leave you with the question of the week. What are your AI predictions for the new year? 
Will Hologramma be available in your holodeck? Will your custom GBT write a hit song based on your prompting? Which careers will go the way of the dodo thanks to AI this year? Yeah, we are about to, well, I think we are on the, the steep climb up on that curve. We just mm -hmm. hit it. 2024 mm -hmm. is going to be super exciting. It is. Even before we even hit the record button today, I was thinking this year is going to be a wild ride. We feel it already. Anything else, my friend? We'll see if we have some nice updates for uh, Raina on the next episode. Real time, Definitely. Right? Yeah. Real time, Raina. Thanks for listening, everybody. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Follow us on Facebook. Throw us a rating. We'll see you next week. This has been Up Against Reality. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to hear future episodes and be sure to follow us on social media for all things AI. Until next time, stay human, people. 